This is Mike Roth. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Open Forum in the Villages. We're going to continue our conversation with new material with Frank Lancone. So let's take it away. Frank, earlier you mentioned that you have a family website. Could you tell our listeners about what the organization is, a family website, your perspective? It's something that is not that hard to do, and it's something I think a lot of people should consider. Um, when we were going on this trip, we wanted a place to be able to communicate with our friends and family. But we didn't think it was the best thing to put on Facebook <laughs> that, uh, that we were going to be gone for three months. It's sort of like a kick me sign uh, or a come out me sign. Yes. And even if you try to limit the number of people, it's just not a good thing because you don't know how stuff is getting reposted. So I, uh, I chartered uh, through GoDaddy a website, and I used it primarily for the trip. Mm-hmm. Well, I really got into writing blogs. And I really got into posting my pictures there. And it was totally locked down. When I got home, I opened it up so anybody could see it. Then I started adding my clubs. So I have web pages for my clubs. I used to be on Facebook. I sort of haven't done much with Facebook in the last two years. Uh, But I did use it for posting poems. And so I had a lot of poems on Facebook. I took those off Facebook and put them on my personal website, and that has now evolved into a book of poetry with 100 poems. And my wife and I are celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary in uh, June of 2022, so this coming June. So I have a tab called Half Century, and I plan to put, I had a little party, I plan to put the video of that party up. So what happens is you start to build the story of your life. In the Writers League of the Villages, there's many people in our age group who've decided, when I'm gone, what will be left? What will my kids know about me? What will my grandkids know about me? Austerity. Yeah, and I, you know, I love my grandpa. He, my dad, and I worked on the farm on weekends, and it was just great. And he died when I was 14. I don't really remember as much as I wish I did about him, and I love him. He was a part of my life. I walked a quarter mile to get to the house to see him. But I don't know what he thought about things. I don't remember what he did personally. I don't know about the parts of his life that I was too young to understand. So I think, so people come to the Writers League and they get in the memoir groups. Well, I think of the family website as a living memoir. It's now a record of our lives and to fill things in. Okay. Go back and fill things in. So I think of the website as a kind of a living memoir, a memoir where you're actually documenting things and sharing things along the way. Good. Frank, I did want to point out to our listeners something that that you brought up that actually is a problem. I'm I'm just going to pick on Facebook. You said you deleted some content from Facebook. In fact, you you may have deleted it from the current version of Facebook today or whatever the day was that you did that. But Frank, did you know there's a a website, a series of websites called History of the Web? No. Hmm. 
Yes, uh, the, there are sites that track websites, and you can turn the clock back in history, and you can see a website from 2001, let's say. Everything that was available on the web on that particular day. So, so now we're into a new topic, Mike, and that is, in this world, who are you? Because in the world our grandparents grew up, you were always you. If you were an author, you wrote a book. Right. Maybe you had an essay that you wrote or some little scrap that you sent. Maybe you kept cards from family. But today, you are the you that's physical and the you that has every electronic signature you've ever made. I find it interesting to get online and find they know every address I've ever been at. Yes, our personal information has uh, transcended to going beyond the real web to the black web to being sold and resold. And now that's, you can't do anything about that. Now that's the negative. I'm going to emphasize the Mike Roth positive. The positive is that if you want to go back and see what the history was, you can actually turn back the clock. People can change their websites. I think there's another positive. Mm. For the first time, you get some say over your publicity, if you will. Mm -hmm. In other words, all lives have challenges. Mm -hmm. and all lives have rewarding and wonderful things. So you get to show those pictures of your grandkids. You get to talk about what you learned from a cross-country trip. Mm -hmm. You get to post a love poem to your wife. And having it on your own website, to a great degree, you can control who sees it. Yes. That's interesting. I'm writing love poems to my wife on the eve of our 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering when my grandkids get to be in their 50s, if they'll wonder, gee, I wonder what grandpa would do. And, and so I, they get to see who I was. Yes. For better or worse. For better or worse. And if, if you want your website to continue beyond your own demise, because you probably have to pay to have your website mm -hmm. uh, posted, your, your domain name carried forward, uh, you have to put that into your, uh, your will with an executor's amount of money set aside so that every year, every two years or every three years, uh, your executor pays the website company, the hosting company, and pays the website domain registrar to keep your domain name active. So I think there's some, uh, there's probably some other methodologies that will go forward, like we talked about the history of the internet. Mm -hmm. You can also um, publish electronically and you'll be a part of a, a catalog that's available forever. I don't think Amazon drops books. I think they just drop them in their listing. So once you're published on Amazon, those books are probably always in their electronic files. I never thought of that, but that's probably true. Yeah. There's also the Library of Congress. Where you uh, store a book in the Library of Congress and it becomes part of a permanent file. Mm -hmm. So I think I think for the first time... The book, yes. Yeah. Okay. Your website, that's another story. Websites you have to make a provision for. 
if you want it to continue long, long after you're gone, you have to come up with a way to keep it out there. And you have to make a decision whether you want it to be publicly accessible or accessible by a limited group of people, which is uh, something new in our society. Usually people could write what they wanted to be on their epitaph on their tombstone. However, now we have a scenario where uh, I have a friend, Ed, who died about 10 years ago. And Ed's still listed on Facebook. Of course, they actually want you to have an executive. Mm -hmm. Now they do. Delusionally, they didn't. Ed died before that. <laughs> and, and I don't know whether it's mom or, or someone, someone else that has, has kept with Ed's uh, informational. Uh, that's something that I think in our later years we really need to address. So um, you're opening up a very interesting topic of discussion. There was a person by the name of William Gibson, very, very popular science fiction writer. About 20 years ago or more, this would be in the early to mid-90s, he started putting out books. It was just when the internet was coming in, books like The Mona Lisa Overdrive. And what he did as a science fiction writer was he jumped into the future and conceptualized a world in which people had an online life after their physical life. And so he thought all about the implications of that, what what it was like, what the person was trying to do. And so they existed on the internet after their physical life had gone away. Now, sound like anything to you? Does it by any chance sound like the metaverse that the founder of uh, Facebook has talked about? Yes, it, it really is. Uh, I'm going to call it the beginning of another chapter. And with artificial intelligence, they can add more and more. And what's interesting about that is, so in the Zoom world, right, we all Zoom for two years. Mm -hmm. Now, suppose that instead of Zoom, you were in the metaverse and uh, you decided, you know, I don't really want to have my picture up there. I want to have my avatar up there. I'm going to have a picture of a gorilla up there. I'm the big gorilla in this meeting, and I'm going to have a picture of a gorilla up there. And that's going to be me. So this whole thing of who am I? Who am I? Where am I? And how am I to live to be happy? And, you know, I'm living now physically. How do I live on? Yeah. In terms of my digital presence afterwards. Uh, I think we all did too many zooms. And, you know, I created a whole library of backgrounds beyond the standard ones that they they offer. You know, I could be on Starship Enterprise or in uh, Young Sheldon's living room. And even in Zoom, they gave you the ability to change your facial appearance. Yes, to darken your eyebrows, mm. to put a mustache on, to put a beard on, to change some colors. And that was the beginning. 
Zoom also had the ability to put on hats. I remember that. I, I have a picture of me with a turkey hat on. <laughs> well, in our improvisational theater club, we have a great routine that's tremendously funny called Questions with Hats. And in improv, the players are instructed never to ask questions of another player on stage because that puts pressure on the other player and doesn't make them look good. But in the hat scene, they have to ask questions about the character represented by the hat that they're wearing or uh, the hat that the other players wear. Well, it, we do public performances, large stage shows, next one's October 28th, and we do club performances. One of the, the, the smaller venues, uh, we, we bought a symbol so we could do, you know, a uh, you hit the snare drum and you hit the symbol, a rim shot. And the club owns a symbol. And so we were doing this, this the questions with hat scene, and one of the villagers had a 22 year old daughter who's studying improv in college. And she gets up to play in this questions with hat scene. And at the bottom of the box of hats, it's the symbol. And she puts the symbol on the top of her head. I love it. And she says for her line, do I look symbol-minded? <laughs> Always a lot of fun. Uh, improv meets on Monday evenings from 6.30 to 8.30 at the row in the first four Mondays of the month. And if you're interested, go out to the web and look at thevillagesimprov.com and you get the whole picture of what the club does. So I'd like to go back to your discussion on Zoom for a second. In um, January of 2020, the villages pretty much closed off the rec centers. And there are five or six discussion clubs, the Philosophy Club, the Free Thinkers Club, uh, the Humanist Club, Civil Discourse Central, Civil Discourse South, Science and Technology. There's, there's more, but it's a very rich mix of people who like to put together informative TED-type talks, deliver those, and then getting into meaningful discussion with the audience. And people find that very rewarding. I would compare it to the old Royal Society talks in Britain where somebody would write a scholarly paper and deliver it just to provoke discussion and try to add to understanding. Well, all these clubs face the same thing. We're now isolated. We can't be face-to-face. What do we do? I believe it was the free thinkers or the humans, maybe the humanists was the first club to start with Zoom, trying to do some Zoom broadcasts and make that available. Our club, um, Civil Discourse Central and Civil Discourse South, we, we were not the first, but we were probably within the first three clubs to do that. And we saved the clubs. Yeah. And to a large percent, to, uh, to a large extent, we also saved our members. We would get, we had a license that topped out at 100 people in the first couple of months. 
we were getting close to 100 people on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. But over time, people got Zoomed out. Absolutely. They got Zoomed out. Now, Especially on those bigger meetings. Yes. I well, mean, the village improv club, during the times that our centers were closed down for about 18 months, uh, we had all of our meetings online, which turned out to be exceptionally positive. They were good meetings, but they also allowed the villagers who were snowbirds to participate, right? which is difficult if the meeting is live. So we, we learned a couple of things out of that. First, we pushed Zoom, I won't say to its limits, but we exploited everything we could out of it. So we would have, let's say on an average day, 70 people online in the first half of that, that year. We would uh, have a presentation, then we would do a poll, an electronic poll, so people could, could participate. Mm-hmm. Then we would use the breakout feature to break them into small groups where they could talk. Mm-hmm. Then we would bring them back, and then we would use the raise your hand feature for people to ask questions back and forth. So we tried to duplicate a lot of the two-way dialogue that you would get in a face-to-face session. We're pretty successful with that. And people appreciated that during that period of time when they didn't feel they could actually get out of their house. The reason we have both the Civil Discourse Central and the Civil Discourse South is that pre-pandemic, if you were to go back about five years ago, at when you came to a civil discourse club meeting at um, so Colony, okay. cool. there'd be 110 seats and 170 people in line. Mm-hmm. And people would wait. You couldn't get in. It was very frustrating. So we had a similar situation up at Savannah. Mm-hmm. We were even repeating the same talks in, uh, up in Savannah. Yeah. That's led to us saying, you know what, we need to get a club down south. And so um, this, the Southern Closing is different. But when we approached John Lohan, we went with a technology vision that said, here's what the future looks like. You're in that room, but you're using some sort of software to broadcast off-site too. That allows snowbirds to participate. It allows shut-ins to participate. People who are in, let's say, a memory care unit that used to go. Um, it allows somebody who's visually impaired to watch it on their phone so they can blow it up to the size they want. It allows us to take those sessions and create a knowledge repository. Most of the clubs have abandoned Zoom broadcasts now. Mm-hmm. But so the Civil Discourse South, I've continued them. It's a lot of work to do a simultaneous Zoom broadcast. But it allows me to take the session. And on my website, I have a repository of task talks. So we're building a very rich knowledge base. So you can be anywhere in the country at any time and and see a talk. So if you have live people in the room, how many people do you have in the room? We're rebuilding the club because I was gone three months. So we will get like between 15 and 25, depending on the So you have the computer camera pointed at the people in the room? Nope, pointed at the speaker. Pointed at the speaker. And the slides are being shown. So at the same time, we might have anywhere between 20 and 35 online people. So a talk could be, let's say, 25 to 30, or it could be 50 people combined in the room 
and simultaneous views. Mm -hmm. Then it's on the website and you'll get subsequent views. That, that, that's an interesting idea. Uh, I've toyed with that. And, and Ben's Club, Mercedes Ben's Club, you're going to go to these four board of directors meetings when, when I didn't do that, I wasn't going to have a quorum. And it works to some, it work, had worked to some degree, but I found it to be less than perfect. Let me go a different way. It depends on what the intellectual content is. Suppose Mercedes Benz sent an engineer to speak to the well, that would be a speaker, and it's easier. Yeah. When you have well, it's six, just the intellectual content is that somebody would actually tune in to say, "Boy, if this guy's going to tell us what the new engine's going to be like, I want to hear that." Mm -hmm. Not so much for <laughs> for a board meeting. Although, if you were deciding something important, they might. Yeah, we did. We got more people to come to the meeting during the periods that we were doing it. But in terms of saving the results beyond the, taking the minutes out of what happened. Remember, our next episode will air live next Friday at 9 a.m. Or I should say pre-recorded, but that's when it's going to be released. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at Mike at rothvoice.com if you know someone that you think should be on the show contact me via the same email address and i want to thank everyone for listening to the show the content of the show is copyright by roth voice all rights reserved